welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the local level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Today we're reaching into the archives for an interview with Gwenlian Gwen Diesel Legro, who was born in South Wales on December 10th, 1912. She served as a radio operator during World War II and became a nurse in London, England. Glenn loved adventure, and in 1949 went to Newfoundland to serve as a nurse in the outports. It was there that she met and married the local RCMP officer and love of her life, Reg, to whom she was married for 53 years. In the 1980s, Gwen Legro was interviewed by Marilyn Marsh on nursing practices in Newfoundland. In this remarkable bit of archival audio, she talks about her experiences as a nurse in Outport, Newfoundland, London during the Blitz, and her early work as a midwife. Gwen Legro passed away in Calgary in 2009 at the age of 96 years. The first voice you will hear is that of Marilyn Marsh. You were just finishing up your story, telling me about the night of your honeymoon, and uh, you went to the lady and and uh, had to stay with her through her delivery until 8 o'clock in the morning. That's right. And can you pick it up there again? Yeah, I remember now. She had a baby boy. But after that, that of course, I walked back to the where we were, the boarding house where I lived, and uh, got back into bed with Red. <laughs> And he was still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our wedding night. <laughs> Not very many people go out to a maternity case on their wedding night. <laughs> Not very many, no. no. <laughs> but, you know, that's part of being a nurse, isn't it? I mean, that is, is kind of amusing and, and uh, unexpected. But at the same time, uh, I'm sure you lot missed a few Christmases or Christmas dinners because of your nursing. Yes, yes, that, that's right. But where it was, you know, where you were sort of stationed in these outports, uh, you were there, and if anybody wanted you, what used to sort of tickle me, you know, that you come to the door, and they used to say, Nurse, you've got to come. <laughs> you've got to come. Not will you, or one thing or another. Nurse, you've got to come. My mother's sick. You've got to come. So regardless of... What time of the day, year, or what it was, there was nobody else, you went. And it didn't matter where it was. Because I remember one night, winter's night, uh, it was a heavy snowstorm. I was round about 12 o'clock at night. And this man came over from Packet, which is right across Confusion Bay, White Bay. Right across the bay. And he said, Nurse, he said, you've got a young man who's very sick. Will you come? And you couldn't say no, regardless. You couldn't say no. How could you say no? And I remember that at the same boarding house, there was a teacher there. And he said to me, My, he said, there's one thing I'd never be a nurse. And I said, Well, you know, it was Granville Hutnett, I always remember. I said, well, Granville, I think I said I'd rather be a nurse than a teacher. <laughs> so anyway, I said, I don't think I could be a teacher than I would nurse, so that's it. So I went aboard this little boat. It was a small boat with a little house on it. And 
We're about four hours on the water, I suppose. There was a lay preacher aboard. And a very conscientious, nice person, you know. But all the way across, he kept telling me how good I was to get out at night and how the good Lord would look after me and all this sort of thing. He was prating away, you know. And I thought, oh, gee whiz, I wish I wasn't here. So anyway, we got right across and snowing, and we could hardly see where to get into and pack it. Snow was coming down. We saw the light on the jetty, and we got in. Where we got in to pack it, I went up to this house. There was a young man about 30. He was dying. He had TB, and he was dying. And all I could do for him was make his end a little bit easier. <coughs> that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the only thing I could do for him because he was really fighting against it. It, it, it was, it was terribly, oh, I don't know, traumatic experience really facing this young man. Yes. All I could do was make his end a bit easier. One uh, time uh, when I was stationed in the sea, I had a call from Brent's Cove. Uh, I was due to leave on a holiday that evening. The coastal boat was coming in. So I got on the boat and went over to Brent's Cove, and there was a little boy that had one of the uh, conjugar, what do you call them, right through his hat. Oh, dear. One of the prongs. The prongs of the kajik was right through the middle of his hand there, right through the middle of his hand. And the bab was here. And now there were all these men, there were all these people in Brent's Cove, and they, they, they couldn't do anything. At least they thought they couldn't. They had to come and get the nurse, see? There was this little boy, I guess he was around about nine years of age. You know, he had a small, thin hand. And there was this cudgel right through the middle of his hand. Well, of course, the only thing to do was to file through that part of the jigger by the barb, just by the barb. There was no other way of getting it out. But see, they couldn't, they, they couldn't see that. So anyway, God sent me to file it, and I, you know, no problem to put it through. Now, I was going on holiday, you see, and there was this wound dirty old wound right through this little boy's hand. And, well, that was it. So I put a dressing on and gave them something to, forget what it was now, but some something or other, to apply to the wound every so often. I left them some dressings. And I guess I was away for about two weeks. And eventually, when I went over to see the little boy, it completely healed over. But this was the card jigger, right Right, the barb of the conjugal, right through his hand. But what amazed me was how they didn't have the presence of mind to, to file it off. But they didn't. Well, I guess they, they depended on you. Well, that, that was it. And uh, for a while there, you'll see, they were without a nurse at all. But once somebody came, that was it. The nurse had to, you know. And, you know, there's something sort of this sort of thing about the nurse or a doctor in a place like that where it's more or less psychological. They're sick, they're ill. And in many cases, they come to see you and you give them something, they're better. 
that quite often happens, you know. Doesn't matter. Yes, I got a bad cough. Yes, okay. If you say, "Oh, you, you're, you're all right. You don't need anything. Forget it. Just give them a little something, and they're better." So you know, it's it's all psychological. Yeah. yeah. An awful lot of it is. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, <laughs> it's not all like that because you know there are a lot of genuine cases that had to be, you know looked after and sent to hospital, etc., etc. But they, they, uh, people need somebody, you see, to give them a little... Confidence. Yes. And, and sympathy. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. I was going to ask you, you know, you were the nurse and, and people looked up to you. And how, what were your relationships like in the community? I mean, I know you met Reg and he was in the Mounties and he was another person that was looked up to. But before he was on the scene, was there anybody that you could date with or walk there were, Yeah, with? There, yes, there were a few families there in the sea that, uh, well, you know, my goodness, we had one, one family there. We used to go out, we used to go out and play bridge with them, we used to go out and dine with them. And, uh, uh, he was a teacher there. He was in the Royal Air Force before, you know, before he was a teacher. And then after that, he was with the cooperatives. And uh, I got to know them very well. And then there were quite a few other families there that were sort of, uh, yes, they were, you could mix with them socially, and they were really, <laughs> in fact, I think, some of them, uh, their intelligence, they, they knew more about things than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, you know, they, they were well, uh, well educated and well knowledgeable and well, oh yes, I, there were quite a few families there that were, I, I respected enormously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I was wondering if it would be difficult for someone, especially somebody coming from away. Oh yeah. Coming into the sea and, yeah. you know, and having been the nurse, whether you were able to mix socially. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were quite a few families that I could mix socially. And, uh, you, could you mix with every family or with their... Oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, of course not. You can't, you can't do that uh, anywhere, really, can you? No. No. Uh, well, you know, you could, you could uh, talk to them and uh, you, could, you could mix with them to a certain extent, Yes. But uh, there were quite a few families in in the sea that that were really admirable, I should say. Mm-hmm. They really were. I did you go to them. Did you go to the Times? Sometimes, uh, not uh, not very often. No. Why wouldn't you? Because I was too busy. <laughs> no, no that, yes, that, that, that's that's true. Yeah, I was because you see, it wasn't only in the sea. It was I was away a lot in in the other uh, communities as well. I had quite a large district to cover, and uh, when I got home, all I wanted to do was relax. I read a lot. I used to have books sent out from the Newfoundland libraries. A whole box, a wooden box full of books. We had the radio. And I did a lot of uh, embroidery work. So when I, we used to go out to the country a lot too, uh, especially this one family that I was very, 
but we were very friendly with. We used to go out uh, trouting, that sort of thing. We used, to, we used to have lots of picnics out in the woods, mm-hmm. you know. We used, to, we used to enjoy the outdoors a great deal. So that while I was back in the community, I wasn't too interested in going out to, to functions, really, truly. What I wanted to do was just relax. Yeah. What about church? Yes. What religion church. were you? United, well, United. I was, uh, and was there a United Church there? Uh, well, I was brought up Wesleyan Methodist. Yes, of course you would have been. And uh, so there was United Church in the sea. So, yeah, I used to go to church occasionally. And sometimes very much against, something that was very much against the feelings of the people in the community. I used to go out and trouting on Sunday. <laughs> Yes. Ooh, you know, this particular family, they thought that this particular family was leading me astray. They didn't realize that really, truly, that I, you loved, <laughs> I loved being out in the country. <laughs> you were leading them astray. <laughs> no, no I, loved, I loved being out, you yes. know, because it's, it's just beautiful, beautiful around there, beautiful ponds, beautiful scenery. It's called cod jigging and boil up on the fishing brews on the beach and that sort of thing, you know. That's that's the nice things I remember about it. So Did you go berry picking? Oh yes. Oh yes. I always like berry picking, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So of all your experiences in nursing, you've been talking mostly about Lucie. Was that sort of the main uh, part of your nursing, the important part? Because you spent a lot of time at the Jane Way and you spent some time in Corner Brook. Yes, uh-huh. yeah, well, hospital nursing, yes. Um, uh, well, when I was down at the Janeway, I was a staff health nurse, and I must say that I enjoyed that very much because I knew I was familiar, got to know all the staff of the Janeway, from kitchen staff, the cleaning staff, the lab staff, the nursing staff, x-ray staff, administration, office staff. I knew them all, and I liked that. I got I got to know so many of them, and that, that's what I liked. Yes. Uh-huh. Because quite often in the hospital, there's this sort of, you know, the staffs, more or less the departments, are so busy they keep very much to themselves in a way. But, you see, I was involved with the whole of the hospital, and I must say that I really enjoyed my days down at the Janeway. And now I meet some of them occasionally, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy to see them, because I feel as if, you know, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I know them. Mm-hmm. I know my, my memories of you are strongest from the Janeway. Yes. As a staff health and and caring for like my students would go and you would make sure that they had their x-rays and their immunizations and all these things. Yes. And uh, it was quite a it was nice to to know you and to know that I could go to you and and they'd be looked after and things would be proper. Yeah. Uh I was at that time you were you were doing more than putting on band-aids. I mean you were looking after their health, but you were doing some prevention work as well. Yes, yes, I was. They used to have their BCG, you know, mm-hmm. and all their immunizations. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd all have their immunization, come to me for their immunizations, etc. And, of course, their chest x-rays and um, 
that sort of thing. Uh, sort of uh, pre- uh, preventative thing, you know. Uh, apart mm-hmm. from their, their their daily ailments, mm-hmm. one thing or another, uh, and of course uh, the different uh, lab tests that they used to have to undergo and that sort of thing. I used to look after that. So it was a sort of a general health uh, job, general health care. That's right. So how did you see your your role as a nurse? Did you see it uh, change in, over the, those years? Or do you think you were doing some of the same things at the Janeway uh, that you were doing in Lassie? Certainly it was different from your midwifery. There's no question about that. Yes, yes. Well, I worked a little while in emergency and uh, outpatients in uh, the Janeway. And, of course, when it comes to the outpatients, all you do is more or less the uh, doctors come in and, uh, like, the uh, high specialists, etc., etc., neuro uh, neurologists and all that sort of thing. And all you did was more or less take the charts in and, and the doctors would examine them, and then you'd have to see that the uh, whatever the doctor ordered would be carried out. Uh, so really and truly, it wasn't sort of bedside nursing care. Uh, so, you know, that, that was completely different. And then, of course, in see it wasn't bedside nursing care. It was only in my early days during training, and in a few years... I guess I was about two years of Western Memorial nursing. That was the only bedside nursing care that I did, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I'd rather be out in the public health rather than be on the ward with bedside nursing. I'd rather be out the with the people. That's more my... Way of you know that that's that's what I like doing. Yeah, an independent worker that's in right. the community. That's right. That's Cause right. Because you, you had a much larger scope, didn't you? That's right. That that's true. Uh-huh. That's true. Uh-huh. Well, you've answered a lot of questions for me this afternoon. Are there any stories that I haven't to ask you about, or anything that you can think of that you would like to tell me? No, I, I, there's nothing else really that I can think of now because we've. Covered quite a bit, actually. So, no. It's one time when I was doing my midwifery there in North London, North Middlesex Hospital, and it was the time when the B2 bombs were coming over. And they were the bombs that would sort of just come, never heard them or anything. There'd be this terrific explosion, a terrific devastation. And uh, this particular morning, I went on duty, and I was on duty in the nursery. And when I went in, there was pieces of the there was the wall half in, and there were pieces of ceiling all down, and all the rest of it. Uh, one of these bombs had fallen across the road, not a factory across the road, and it had done some damage to the hospital itself. We always used to keep a sort of mesh over the uh, baby's cots uh, for for protection. And this bits of plaster and all the rest of it came down on on this mesh and none of the babies were injured. And then uh, I was called to do a catheterization on the ward. 
this particular patient. So I put all the screens around her and put on my gown and put on my gloves, etc., etc. There I was in the ward doing this catheterization on the patient. And after I did it, I came out and the ward was in a mess. Plaster down on the floor. There was, you know, it was, it was some of it was in shambles. And I thought, well, how ludicrous! Here I am, all scrubbed up, and there's all this, all this mess around me. <laughs> that was the morning after this uh, me too fell across the road. And were any of the babies injured? No, there's no injuries there at all. No injuries there at all. Not at the hospital itself. It's like uh, a small miracle, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. With all that devastation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was, uh, the, the hospital damage wasn't that terribly bad, but there were mm-hmm. still pieces of plaster and pieces of wall, yes. you know, falling down sort of thing. But I can always remember how ludicrous it was to be all scrubbed <laughs> up and have all this debris around. <laughs> yeah. You must have had quite a few experiences during the war. Yes, yeah, quite a few experiences, personal experiences, apart from the hospital experiences during the war, but uh, lots of other people had them too, and it was just a, a way of living at that particular time. What was the most outstanding one that you remember personally? Beginning of the war, when I was nursing, uh, nursing and I had a couple of days off, and it was just the reconnaissance planes used to come over, you know, just nothing really. But anyway, the air raid side would uh, would go off, the air raid side would go off. And in the hospital, you see, where the air raid side would go off, we'd have to get up and go on duty and get all the patients to go down in the basement. And sometimes we'd be up half the night as well as being on duty during the day. So anyway, I had uh, some time off and I went home. And uh, my one of my brothers, two of my brothers were home and my mother and myself. And before we went to bed, my mother said to me, the siren goes tonight, are you going to get up? I said, no, indeed I'm not. I don't care if a bomb drops on me. I'm so tired, I'm not going to get up tonight. No, she said, I don't think I will either. So anyway, we went to bed. And sirens went off. Okay, we stayed in bed. Then all of a sudden, we heard this, you know, bomb coming down. Well, it was a two-story house. And where we used to go to shelter from the bomb was under our large dining room mahogany table. I don't remember how we all got downstairs, but the next thing I remember was that every one of us was underneath this table. <laughs> it was just it's just a small bomb dropped at the bottom of our road. You know, just made a hole. You see, because beginning of the war, it was, you know, nothing to bombs at that time. But I remember, I don't remember how anybody got down over those stairs. That was the night we weren't going to get up. But there we were, all underneath the dining room. <laughs> Tired or not, you made it to the table. <laughs> yeah, when we heard the first whoosh. <laughs> were you under the table before the bomb struck? No, I, I don't. I can't I remember. remember. No. <laughs> I can't remember. All I know is that we got down under the table, and as I say, it didn't do any damage except a big hole down the bottom of our road. You know, yes. because it was only a small. Because it was the reconnaissance planes. Actually, yes, that was before the big blitz or anything. You know, that was nineteen forty, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. So. You've had a few narrow escapes. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah I was up in London for the first, uh, for the last uh, year of the war when they sent over the V1s. That's what I was doing, my mirror V1s and V2s. And that was frightening because you never knew where they were going to drop, you know. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that was it. Uh, you know, well, you weren't hit, so might be next time, but still. Everybody else was having the same, same, you know, same experience, so you just just accepted it, yes. You couldn't change it? No. So whatever, you know, whatever happened, that was it. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And it's amazing how everybody just went on living, went did their daily jobs just went on living the same as they always did. But the fact was that it brought people closer together, you know. Of course it did. Yes, yes. wherever you traveled, buses, trains, well, anywhere. Yeah, it brought people closer together because mm-hmm. you were all, all in it together, regardless yes. of who you were or what you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought of one question I'd like to ask you. That'll be my last one, and that's about... I want to know how you felt and what you did for your very first delivery all by yourself. Do you my remember? first delivery all by myself. Well, that was... Uh, I uh, that, that was... I guess that must have been when I did my second part, midwifery, uh, because when we did our first part, we always had the teacher midwife with us, of course. But the second part... Uh, they used to send us out on our own. And uh, as a matter of fact, this, I don't know whether this was the first delivery, but it was one of my first. I went to this home and there was, um, this uh, this baby was born. And I, I just, I just accepted it. I, you know, the midwife wasn't there and it was just a normal thing. And uh, what amazed me was that the baby was 12 pounds. She was just... <laughs> and went back and told them, you know, baby is 12 pounds. I don't know whether it was my very first to tell you, honestly, I really can't remember. But I always remember this 12-pound baby. And um, great big fat Big baby, you know, look as if it was a few months old, of course. But that's where I did my first uh, deliveries on my own was when I did my second part, midwifery in Surrey. Mm-hmm. And the thing was that you ha- I'd had uh, so much experience before with the the teacher midwife with me, and she was just there, you know. Yes. She didn't take any part, so I didn't... Right, I didn't think to myself, well, this is my first delivery on my own because it was a normal delivery and that was it. Yes. I was wondering, were most of the deliveries in the homes, you would go out to the home rather than the, right. the mothers coming to the hospital? And it was a lovely feeling. Yes, it must have been. The family is so, is there and you sort of uh, go in and you're there with the uh, mother for quite a while before the baby is born, and then the baby is born, and the first thing she asks for is a cup of tea. And you make the mother comfortable, and you make the uh, baby, do the baby up, make the baby comfortable, and the family is so happy, and you go. Next morning, you go in, 
and you, you tend to right through for a couple of weeks. And it's a lovely feeling. You feel as if you belong, and they feel as if you belong. A home delivery, I think that, as I said before, that it's the antenatal care that's so important. If you have good antenatal care, I think a home delivery is an excellent thing. I really do. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>